hey guys real quick it's rodney moses here and i just want to let you know that this episode with mika piteri kuro both episode 7 and 8 are now available on youtube as one combined video there so if you want to go over to youtube and search medtech 101 you will find it there however having said this we're also going to start adding some visuals i'm going to start making some videos for the previous episodes we have made on this podcast to put them on youtube so we can also have visuals for those and yeah thank you very much and uh, the link to the youtube video is in the description below as well so yeah thank you very much please subscribe (laughs) i can't believe i have to say that now but yeah so enjoy Okay. So, um, so yeah, okay. So back for the second part now. Uh, so Mika, would you say uh, the technology? Um, well, because I see you guys launched a new technology. Do do you want to talk about that now? Um, before we get back to the idea of the dome, uh, or, or is or is this new technology part of the dome you're talking about right now? In terms of how you you guys plan to to grow the company going forward. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, so far, all the plans are related to the same tech, same core technology, so same innovation basically. It's just different applications of that, and uh, those applications sometimes they might be, uh, I would say, so much different that uh, you you really can talk about different products. So, like this tunnel, for example, uh, it's a good. It has the same kind of a principle that the dome so we still utilize the you know the the lights and cameras and optics in a special manner uh, which is patented for us so uh, both the dome setup the tunnel setup is patented then we have a third one coming uh, for for transparent and semi-transparent items Uh, that's interesting And so, that's even more complex because obviously transparent objects don't perform the same when you shining light at them. Surely, uh, yeah, so I wonder how you guys are going to do that. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah, there are some specific stuff. Nice. Let's, I'll just frame it like that. So that yes. uh, that that patent application is uh, very very fresh. Of so, course. Uh, so you don't have to talk so about I don't, it right I don't, now. I don't oh. want to go into the details, but let's of put course. it in a way that the results are very very promising. Nice, nice. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll be waiting for your LinkedIn post about this one uh, when it's out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and just, just out of curiosity, uh, how long does it take for you guys to start from a concept to until you file for patents? Because I know in our in like in R and D for uh, med for the medical field, matter it can be as long as like 10, 10 years or nine years before the product is good enough for it to be filed for patency. So I wonder if the turnover is a little bit faster in, uh, uh, how fast has it been for you guys uh, in terms of getting those patents? Yeah, it depends on a little bit. Uh, so to get like a patent application in, so the patent process goes in a way that you send the application, right? And yes. there are some review process going on. And then finally, after some time, you get your patent like uh, accepted or what is the right term? I don't know. Yeah, anyway, approved, approved, a- approved. Yeah. So, uh, and that might take years. 
Yes. So that doesn't change regardless of where, where do you operate. However, uh, when we have an idea, yes, and then we start putting that together, it depends a lot. So if there's a, if it's just an idea, then okay, this might make sense. Then we usually what we do is we start to look at the markets first before we really, have, you know, could this idea really be valuable for potential customers? And if not existing, how about if there are some markets that we are not right now, but yes. uh, some area is there so that okay, we could go there if we would do this and that. So that that's something that we 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 try to uh, do. So uh, nice. Because of that and, and market kind of exploration, yes. it takes a little bit of time, and some things come faster. Some things require a little bit more time. For this, Makes I can sense. say that for, for for this for this going from this dome to this tunnel solution, that took uh, I would say probably a couple of years before the actual patent application went was filed. Yes. However. <laughs> However, there was a lot of work done. So basically, the the concept and the solution was already there when it was yeah. filed. So it nice it, in, internally it was proven already. That, okay, this works. perfect. But now the IP or the intellectual property was now a way for you guys to sort of like cement the technology so that you you have that uh, uh, market edge over others. So yeah. no, so I guess no, that's really good. And um, like I was, I said, I think as we spoke before, I I was quite fortunate to have been part of the process of working on creating a device uh, from um, building up the machine and filing for the patent. Well, I didn't file for it, but there was the lawyers who do that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But um, when do that patent um, uh, with with my name on it and four other people I worked with in R and D at the time, and uh, and that. To get to that point for us, I think the research had been going on for about seven years. And then we filed for the patent in 20, uh, they filed in 2020, but it was only published last year in May. So it took two years of mm-hmm. it going through that process. So you can imagine, um, and this at this point, you, you still haven't put it on the market yet because you're still trying to protect the technology for yourself. Um and in 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 that two years is just additional, you know, paperwork. They have to check against all the libraries to see if this didn't exist before and everything. So, um, so it takes time. So I re- I'm yeah. really happy that you got something that came through. You got a second product for the dome, or oh, that's or oh, for oh, those the dome first, and then now you got this sort of like a, as we like to call it, the yeah, tunnel we, we, uh, we technology. Call it the tunnel, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, now the. But now, since uh, sometimes the, si- the development cycle is faster, so yes, like I said, that we have a transparent and semi-transparent things coming. So yes. and there is a, a patent application has been filed. There, the cycle was a lot faster because uh, we had a customer request. So then we just quickly looked at okay, is there a market or is it is it just individual customer? And we realized that yes, there is. Okay. So then we started to figure out okay how this could be done, and all in all, yes. I think from the first first point of contact from the customer side, okay, now we have this kind of a thing, this kind of a challenge in our hands. I think it was like a uh, 
uh, only some maybe four, four, five months that we filed the patent application. And the real mm. innovation was even shorter. So the, so the real oh. period when we actually, our team members did the innovation was, you, can, you, you could count that in weeks rather than months. Wow, wow, wow. And, and how, how big is your team there? Like, do you have like an army of engineers working on this? Or, <laughs> or, or you, how, many, how many people are in your R&D team? Because from what I saw online, I, um, I, on your website, you guys said you have uh, 15 people at the moment, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's, it's potentially more. Or do you have contractors as well? How do you guys uh, manage the human resources there? Yeah, so uh, inside Helm, you're right. So yeah. we, we have 15 people, and uh, not all of them are in R&D. Yes. Uh, the R&D team as such, we have like uh, eight people. Nice. Eight, eight, so, <laughs> that's that's quite a lot. That's quite a lot. A little bit. Uh, yeah, around eight. Let's yeah, because um, R&D is always the smallest department, usually in most companies. So uh, in the very first company I worked in for R&D, I think it was, uh, well, full-time people. I think it was about four, three or four people that I remember right now on top of my head. And uh, everyone had to do a lot of work there. You had to do all kinds of things to try <laughs> to create this. And, and I think um, it's it's quite nice to see that you have been able to sort of like get your R&D team to understand the um, the timelines as well because uh from 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 what i understand in R&D you well as i said before you don't really get the full appreciation of that the company doesn't as long as for as long as the product is in R&D the company is not making money back from that so mm-hmm. then companies have this huge incentive to say okay with this product in R&D how quickly can we get our R&D turnover so that we've got a product that we can sell to sort of get your return on your investment. So mm-hmm. um, so it's quite nice to see that your R&D, your R&D team is actually working pretty fast and, you know, making sure that the technology is delivered because it's not, it's not easy to get that, you know, sort of, um, um, sort of like good link between R&D and sales. Well, sales is focused on numbers. R&D guys are focused on trying to create the best product. Uh, but sometimes you need a product that's to start and then you can always update it, right? You can always create new versions. Yeah. You can always release new versions and stuff. So, And I think that's this is partially due to your skills as well, from you know, having your engineering background and your sales background again. So it makes you quite versatile. Yeah, you got it right. So what we have done is that we, we've tried to help our team to understand that rather than building a perfect product, yes. you just first build good enough. Yes. So that it does what it has to do, that's good enough. And then we can improve, you know, while running. So it's a it's that that's kind of the, the mental setup that we have managed to no. get in quite nicely. So that yeah, no, that's good. our R and D team, they are they are great. <laughs> and uh, a little bit back and, for your previous yeah, sorry, point, continue. we also you we also use like external uh, contractors or suppliers or partner companies so that they help us so that the, the actual number of people working around something that we are doing, it's, uh, it might be sometimes uh, a lot larger, but uh, yeah. the, inside the team is uh, 
all, all the bad sides. Oh, nice. No, that's that's good. And do you have like um, some um, software you use to check when you need to get some guys from outside, or or, or how how does it work for you guys? Because one thing we do um, at work, or what other companies do, is they have this um, sort of like uh, they call it Microsoft Project. And uh, they, they put everyone in there and then they've, they've uh, sort of like timelines of what work they need to do. And uh, what then happens is you assign uh, each person, each employee, which is basically a resource to each task. And then when mm-hmm. everyone is sort of like being overworked because there's a lot of tasks that are happening, you kind of get the score to say, okay, this resource is being overworked or or this resource is free, so maybe you can then ask this person to help out on this task. Now, how do you guys streamline your process to know, you know, just in general, because um, how do you know if you if it's time to get more people onto the team, uh, whether on a contract basis or on a full-time basis? How, how do you calculate that? Because it's not something they teach in engineering school, so I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought... <laughs> Yeah, if you ask from the R&D team, they always need more people. But, uh, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> but but the thing is that what we what we try to do is first of all in the kind of in the let's say management level, we we try yeah. to check that what are the crucial things that we must do during the next twelve months, six months, three months during in some periods of time, and then we just check that okay, is this realistic? Yes. You know, if I say that okay, some some feature, some some new element in our product must be done by the end of the year, then I have a discussion with our uh, head of R and D. Actually, his real title is uh, Vice President Technology and Operations. But anyway, we'll check nice. together that okay, hey, in your team, first of all, do you have the skill set to make this happen? Yes, no, and then uh, even if yes, uh, what kind of a you know, bandwidth these guys are on right now and in the coming months. Does it look like it's realistic to expect that this would happen? Makes and sense. And then, then if there is like a no-no, then, then we need to check, okay, okay, do we need to buy it from somewhere else as a whole? Or is it something so yes. crucial that no, we, we don't want to buy it because it's uh, in really in our core, so we want to do it by ourselves? Okay, yes. so then it's a question, okay, then we have two options. You know, our people are full. Either we postpone it to make sure that it will be done, but it will yeah. be done by our own people, or then we need to figure out that uh, if we have some uh, like temporary stuff or ha- just hire new people. Nice. And uh, it's always in the in the small companies like us who who are there. Yeah. You know, trying <laughs> trying to find the the sweet spot to, to nice. get the revenues growing and so exactly. on. Exactly. So and so then um, a, and we are continuously kind of in the in balancing there that uh, everybody is under high workload anyway. Nice. But it's it's the prioritizing is the kind of the main task for the management. Okay. What needs to be done now? 
true. <laughs> what so can I, be pushed for tomorrow? Tomorrow, exactly. So <laughs> then prioritizing the tasks and uh, so and would you say you do this on a so it's, I guess this is quite uh, dynamic. It's something that's always sort of like happening all the time, or is it like a meeting? You you say okay, let's relook every three months, every six months as to what targets or what objectives we have in the upcoming months, what we have right now in terms of human resources and um, machines we have can we reach these targets and i think it's quite interesting because that's going to be really important with this new um, products you guys are going to be uh, launching with the tunnel and do you have an idea of when the market can expect that or is it something that's really on the market the tunnel technology so the the tunnel is there we are marketing that actively right now it's it's nice. in it's in our sales already and uh, uh, actually first like uh, what do you call them Be beta testers or whatever but the, the, like, first first customers they already have this nice uh, in and the shop floor so nice so, and so. are the customers in Finland or abroad abroad nice so, nice but going back to that R&D cycle so yes uh, so it's 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 exactly what you said. So it's like a continuous all the time process. We continuously monitor. However, yes. we do have like a like a larger planning meeting. Uh, at the end of the year, we always plan for the next year fully. Nice. But throughout the year, a couple of times, like almost like quarterly basis, we yeah. we kind of check that where we are and we make this roadmap for, for this year. Uh, is it still valid or did something change? Do we need to adjust that somehow? True. Usually, usually not, but we evaluate that anyway. Yes. And then the, then the workload and that sort of stuff, that are we on a track? Can we have all these things that we planned? Can we have them done during the period of time we planned? That is kind of followed continuously all the time. So it's nice, nice. And that's good. And just, just out of curiosity, uh, how many days off do people have uh, at uh, at Helmi or in Finland in general per year? How many days off do you guys get per year? Um, it, it, on well, this first of all, we we have like this nine to five job, so basically, and and uh, in Helmi, I we you have said you have, nine, you have nine nine to five days off. Uh, no, no, like, okay, no, no, sorry, sorry, yeah. We, it, it's like an office job, so okay. the people work nine to five. Shift on nine to five. Yes. Uh, but the thing is that uh, Helme is a, in my opinion, uh, for for many people, they, I don't know if our, our guys understand this, but we are very super flexible. So nice. uh, we have guys who work like in in a hybrid model already before this COVID thing is. We always said that you know, no, we don't care where you are. Yes. <laughs> we don't care basically when you do your job as long as you deliver. Makes sense. And when we have a meeting, you better be there. That's Which it. is the most important then, thing. Yeah, yeah. So so very like flexible. So if somebody needs to go to, to take their kid to somewhere or whatever else, then fine, do it. Uh, for example, this week I, I have been driving my son a lot during the Kind of the days that uh, during the time that I, I should probably work if I would be in such a job <laughs> that I really sh should be at the office. So it doesn't yes. really matter. I, I do my task somewhere else then. Uh, then the thing is that uh, the holidays, we have like typical Finnish way. So in, in principle, 
there are some like public holidays throughout the year, like in a, most of the countries. Yeah. But in addition to those, people get like uh, five weeks in a year. Wow. That's, that's, it's, that sounds like heaven compared to, to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 in my opinion, the biggest advantage is that in, in, in most of the companies, also in Finland, there are certain limits that when you need to have those holidays. Makes sense. So, so you have to balance so, it. So, yeah, and also that, uh, for example, you need to have four weeks of holiday between uh, May and end of September, if I remember right. Nice. So this is very often. Kind of, but we, as Helmer, we have said that, you know, we don't want you to start kind of collecting, but suddenly you are half of a year away. No. <laughs> you, you, you need to have your holidays, but you can, we are not that strict. You can have it like throughout the year. For, just as an example, we, we had a, uh, she left already the company, unfortunately, but we had a Japanese employee and yes. uh, her family lived in Japan and some of the, some part of her family lived in somewhere else. So she yes. used to have holidays like all the way throughout the year. Yes. S- the same amount, but you know, it was not in that period of time. It was you yeah. know, sometime in March, sometime in November, as long as you know, everything was there. So, no, and, that's uh, really good. That is, that is some kind of a benefit that is not really visible to anywhere, but it's just, yes, you know, of but, course we agree always. So it's, it's not like guys just come here, you know, today for me, <laughs> like, Hey, Mika, by the way, I'm next week. I'm going to be on a holiday. No, of course it, it will be agreed uh, like, uh, before, right. but still anyway, it's a, we are flexible. Uh, and, and it's quite interesting. You say that because when I, when I worked at, uh, Johnson and Johnson, we knew that for our Scandinavian customers, we had to get everything to them before July and August because everyone would be uh, on this sort of like summer break where the nearly the whole country basically closed out, closes down for like three to six weeks, depending on the company. Yeah. Uh, and we always used to look at that with some sort of like envy because everyone would be like, I want to work in Scandinavia. Women are women working here in the UK. Um, because here, on average, just to also give you a comparison of how life is on the other side of the world, uh, <laughs> here we we have um, twenty five days off for the entire year. So that's five that's five weeks for the entire year, plus uh-huh. bank holidays or public holidays, which add up to about just maybe eight days. So let's say another. So in total, you have less than seven weeks. You can take mm. off for the entire year, and uh, and in some cases, you don't have that flexibility. But do you think um, having these work conditions, uh, you know, these Scandinavian work conditions, which are nice, does that give you guys an, an advantage when it comes to you know competing with international companies? Because like when I grew up in South Africa, my family lives in Zimbabwe, so I'm also like one of your international employees who used to fly back home, and I tried to fly home most of the time, but. I find myself having to maybe just take one week and work the other week from home and then I come back uh, or, or, or I have to just shift my days accurately. But but I always have to work all the time. So how do you guys then compete with the rest of the world? You know, just from a bigger perspective, how does Scandinavia compete with the rest of the world when you guys are enjoying life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... You know, we have one sunny month in the year, so maybe we want to have it 
of so makes <laughs> that's sense. Why that's why the country is closed in July. Nice. No, just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a fair question you have, and uh, yeah. uh, I think that uh, now that that we have international team as well, people working from Germany, from uh, from France, from China. Yes, and I we have international business, so it seems to me that if you really count the hours, yeah, in Scandinavia, in Finland, we we actually we work relatively little. Oh yeah, yes. In, in terms of our yes but then on the other hand the work is relatively well organized so yes. there is there is also when people work they actually do work so Makes they sense. are not just you know <laughs> chatting with friends here and com- you know yes of course there are breaks and we try to keep it like a so that it's not uh, so it's the, the atmosphere is still relaxed but yes. anyway, people are really focused. They, they do what they have to do. Yes. And that kind of uh, is one of the strengths. But yes. it's, 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 it's also true that, uh, that uh, sometimes in some countries, having the July off is, is a little bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Logistically, especially when you become international because uh, shipments don't stop and everything. But I, 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 tot- I totally agree with you. And having, having said that, it, it reminds me of, um, was it late last year or early this year when uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he let go or something like nearly 80% of the workforce? But the next day, Twitter was still working. So I guess it's partially because sometimes because people have less days off. Um, when I look at my friends who work in South Africa, who I went to high school with, they only get um, something like 15 days off per year, uh, plus plus uh, bank holidays or public holidays. So in that's really like, you know, you're forced to go to work. So sometimes people get to work. They spend the time on Wikipedia, just reading a few things. No work is actually getting done uh, because yeah, people yeah. are being overworked all the time. Whereas I understand in terms of employee satisfaction in in Scandinavia, it will be higher. And maybe that's what's giving you guys an edge because people know, okay, I work now. I'm going to have my three weeks or my four weeks off in the summer uh, yeah. to spend with my family and everything like that. So, so it's quite nice. And, just touching on family and, you know, having this quality time, you mentioned uh-huh. that you've been driving your son around and everything like that. On the platform where you do your sort of like, um, you know, speak speaking training, speaker training, uh, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, you know, like uh, you, you, it's something that you value. And from our earlier conversation, I, I take it to you also are a, a family man. And, and just a quick question, how, 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 how do you find that, you know, within just balancing time, you know, with your family and work and obviously the conditions you have in terms of the flexibility of, of the work you guys offer it help me, uh, helps that. But uh, uh, how, how do you balance the other stuff in terms of the travel and time you have away? Uh, of course, it's uh, sometimes it requires quite a lot of like uh, pre-thinking that how, how everything will be organized, uh, especially in my role when I basically, yes. I don't have any working hours. Anything. I'm working in principle, I'm working all the time. Makes sense. So, <laughs> however, however, like you said, I'm a family man, so I'll try to dedicate uh, a big chunk of hours every week for my family so that I will be there because in return, I will be traveling a lot as well. Yes. So just to give you an idea, 
the, in, in Finland, in May, there was 22 work days. Wow. Uh, in, in May. Okay, yes, yes. You know, so if, if it I, makes sense. Okay, that's normal. That's all. Yeah, 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 so that's like four yeah. weeks. That's four weeks. Yeah, yeah. 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 So out of those, those 22, I was traveling 17. Wow. So that's, that means you're away for nearly uh, three weeks of the month. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Which so so when I'm home, I'll try to make sure that I do have time for my family. Nice. So and and this May was exceptional. I, I usually I don't travel that heavily, but anyway, it's just just you know that's that's the reason why I'll try to organize that uh, I have time for them too. And th- that goes also uh, throughout the whole stuff, not just for me. Yes. I want to make sure that these guys feel happy, so that they are they are excited about their work. Yeah. They still can spend time with their hobbies, families, whatever they want to do in their free time. Nice. And uh, so that they are, they feel energetic when they come to office. Of because course. If it makes they a do, difference. Then, then we, of course, you know, we get most out of them So as a company. So that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's after good. All, after all, if you think about the normal, like a workday or, or such, so you... I, I'll just make it like... A, that you, you sleep like... A, roughly eight hours or so, so one yes. third. And, and then you work like uh, eight to ten hours, however, six hours, seven hours, depending on the day probably. So one third. And then the, the remaining third should be something that you kind of... Uh, uh, is, is, is for the family or for yourself or whatever, but something that kind of gives you also relaxation. But I don't mean that the work would be burdened, but it's just that, uh, yes, uh, like like two-sided coin. That okay, in the work it must be exciting and rewarding enough so that you feel happy to go there, and happy when you go out. Yes, so that you have something else outside that hours as well, so that you know it's uh, kind of the balance is there. Then it's uh, nice. most fruitful for the company and for the individual. Makes sense. And and I guess that's the time when you uh, when you with your with your with your family when you doing your your speaker training when you um, doing when you're a member of the I still can't pronounce it the Halus Pratton Sata Pinto and uh, yeah, I can't pronounce it it's just it's just too long uh, and uh, and and yeah that's that, that's good I I I, I I, I'm actually taking a bit of advice from that for myself because uh, I, I think I, I don't. I think I'd probably, I'm probably not sleeping long enough as I should be uh, at the minute with uh, with everything that I'm doing. But um, but that's that's like some good uh, um, life uh, advice to to look on and just to build because obviously your career has been going well. So so it, I I have to take your advice because you're doing something right and it's something that I think I can learn from. So so that's good and yeah, um, yeah. So and yeah. So then um, uh, then getting back to the um, the CSD technology, um, yeah. You know, with this new technology that you guys are bringing to the market and everything, um, like uh, what sort of like considerations have you taken for you know um, like sustainability? Do you have components that are reusable? Um, do you have? Uh, I know obviously you've already reduced your the time engineers are required to fly all over the world because you know you can do this remotely, but 
is there something else that makes this technology good? Can we you reuse certain things? Can you recycle certain parts of it? How does it work? Uh, yeah. So from from the processes point of view, we, yes. we even though we are in international markets and we need to fly, unfortunately, quite a lot, yes. we still try to avoid flying always when, when possible. So we use these kind of <laughs> remote connections like we nice. are doing now. Yes. However, uh, the, the the product itself that we are building, um, to be honest, we, we, we have not put so much effort that we probably could and we maybe do in the future as well as to, to make sure that the components are like sustainably manufactured or so. But what we do have is that... Uh, for our customers, when they utilize our solutions, like I explained, that they increase the yield, yes, the inspection accuracy is better, and so on. So that what happens is actually yes. that uh, while while they make these kind of things, they'll end up consuming yes. less, uh, smaller amount of raw materials, energy, nice, uh, and they have less claim handlings, which again leads into less traveling. And, Makes sense. Uh, was there's less sort of failures. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 uh, by that angle, yes. we actually have quite a big uh, environmental effect as well. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's that's one way to see. It. I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way because uh, I know uh, it's, it's one thing we're going to be talking on about shortly as to how this technology can be really useful for. Um, like medical technology, which is something that I'm, um, I'm passionate about, is is that you know the number of rejects you get on an assembly line uh, equals the number of complaints you get from customers. So you mm-hmm. have products that are, especially if you're making like millions per day. Like as I said, we make a million bars per day. So we try to streamline the process. We we in fact we try to design for six sigma. And I'll just explain mm-hmm. what Six Sigma quickly means just for in case someone is listening and, and they don't have that uh, uh, engineering knowledge. But designing for Six Sigma is basically the engineering zero. You know, other people want zero failures. In engineering, we say we're trying to design for Six Sigma <laughs> because we understand that in a production line on the, on the shop floor, we can't really get the numbers to zero. But our engineering zero, we call it, we call it Six Sigma. And... Uh, it means that for every one million components that are made, only about three should be forty or three. We should only have three rejection out of every one million. And it, to yeah. to get to that level, you need a lot of work to do. And I think even for the um, aerospace um, industry, they also have. Uh, I think I've heard of people talking of nine sigma. I, I've not tried to calculate it myself to see how many fail how many failed parts that is. Um, but those are the things we're trying to design for. And the less rejects we have, not only do we have happier uh, customers and, and or patients, because essentially these are products that are going into uh, they're going to patients. Um, it also means that the company has to spend less time troubleshooting. Um, you know, all the money that's used for sending those uh, felt uh, components back and forth and everything. So in essentially, by improving that quality control or quality analysis, it actually lessens the impact on the environment because not a lot of material is getting wasted now. 
if something is faulty, they can see it in the factory. And I don't know, like for the door handle, for us, we we have a we have the option to do what we call material re grind, or they can re melt it again and reassemble it again, and and then whilst it's still on the shop floor before it even goes out there, for some of the parts that we make. So, so I guess in terms of that, that's 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 a good way to to see it in terms of um, um, what you guys are doing in terms of helping reach this uh, sort of sustainability, and um, yeah. So, uh, like, what are your thoughts like on the future? Uh, I mean, it's quite exciting right now. You've got the you've got the dome, you've got the tunnel, you've got the transparent materials coming through. Like, what are your thoughts for the future in terms of? Um, are you optimistic? Um, or are you kind of in the middle or you or you got other things that are in the pipeline which no one is even as that you haven't had time to 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 talk about and that people outside of hell me don't know but yeah so what do you think uh, uh yeah uh, so yeah yeah thank you by by character i'm optimistic for sure <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 also something else than just my own thinking like i said we in some phase of the discussion we had and we have increasing number of inquiries coming in so basically that means that uh, that uh, the customer base is kind of a after our uh, lo long marketing actions that we have done in the past and now with new releases and that sort of stuff and also the changes in the production environment through covid everything so it's uh, it's kind of coming things up i think the puzzle pieces are coming together yes. so in that sense i'm, I'm optimistic also the, the the all these factors like we just discussed about the environmental things sustainability uh automation all in all lots of people talking about industry 4.0 or yeah. quality 4.0 however you want to Yes, say it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they are all something that kind of uh, helps us, our markets, yes. everything. While in, in many, many cases, when I go to the factory, the quality control is the last point to automate. So everything yes. else might be automated, <laughs> but there I see some people still, and the, and, 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 and the plant managers are thinking of you know, how I do this because this is. This is the only point, and it's the main source of all the mistakes we do. Yes, so it's, it's, it's the weak, it's the wink, well, it's the weak link in the chain, basically. Yeah, so, yeah, and everything adds up, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the effect is exactly those environmental things, uh, financial things, all the like, like uh, stress people have. So, so, I've told many times clients <laughs> that you know, when you automate this quality control, you really can start sleeping well after that so <laughs> yes because i'm sure the production managers will be happy they didn't have to get phone calls at three o'clock in the morning or uh, about a breakdown or or <laughs> why why is the rejects going up or something and and it's true that you say that because um even at work we still have humans actually uh visually or physically inspecting those uh components and what they do they do like a strat a stratified sample so for every certain batch that's released or created they have to take a number of samples and they put them in the tray and one thing i saw on your guys youtube was the robotic arms well the only part a human being is involved in is packing those samples into the tray 
and then your guys robots can do the entire work they can pick up the components one by one check it in the dome put it back pick the next one and that's really saves a, a lot of time because now it means you can you don't have to wait for um it's one well it's it's it saves time in the sense that you don't have to have someone visually inspect that with errors. You don't have someone to double check their, the work they've done because you can sort of trust the machine because it's, you know, as you say, you guys try to work for a 95 to 96% confidence interview in terms of what it, uh, it, it, it shows you as being correct versus the 80% for human beings over time. Mm -hmm. So, so, Therefore, that helps, obviously. Um, and but, do you think there's a possibility that um, uh, that it could even start packing? Well, I'm sure the, the machine can do that; can pack the samples itself, and then the machine will check. But at what point would you need a human being uh, in the quality analysis besides uh, just packing the sh the samples into the machine for for it to do to for it to do its job? Uh, what would you say uh, in terms of um, where where would humans be still needed for for those people who are worried that all oh, this technology is replacing them? Uh, can you how can you reassure them that at some points humans are still needed in this process? Yeah, so first of all, somebody needs to take care of the of of, of the unit itself. So yes. there needs to be an operator. Yes. Anyway, after all, yeah. Uh, not very often in. In interacting but anyway still there needs to be an operator so that's one thing the other thing is that in some customer cases we actually what we do is that we check or, or control the part and if it's okay we already put that in the delivery box like carton box nice. so our unit actually does packaging as well <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> that's but, smart uh, yeah uh, but then in painting processes especially yes. They do a lot of rework, so basically saying that some of the defects that we find, they are such that they actually, they want to kind of take off the paint and uh, then, you know, do the repainting. Uh, and again, that's a good thing. So rather than just scrapping the part, they would try to make sure that it still could be delivered uh, in a good quality. So uh, that's where people are needed. Needed. Yeah. To well, of course, everything could be automated, but in, in <laughs> real life, it's, you know, I I was just I, I was in China, so basically, what you could do there in a hotel that was quite funny actually. I could order food from whichever restaurant. Yes. Somebody brought that into the hotel lobby, and then there was a robot, and the guy put that in the uh, into the robot, and the robot started to move in into. You know, for example, my room in seventh wow. floor, whatever else. And then it came to the room. I got the announcement in my mobile. I was like, oh, okay, I have food there. I opened my, <laughs> my door and okay, I took it from the robot and then the robot. <laughs> so basically, everything can be automated. It's not about yes. that. But then it's just that, okay, what does make sense? Yes. So uh, in certain tasks, it's still yeah. better to have people, at least for nice. time being. Makes sense. So, uh, but, but for the surface quality control, the, the thing is that uh, if, if you really think about automation as such, so what are the things that actually should be automated, yes. right? So, so they are like uh, the things that are repeating many, many, many times. Yes. Uh, 
and then they uh, well that's the first thing you need to have a repetition in place and then hopefully relatively simple and uh, like a monotonic task so that there are not you know there is no where you don't need human senses like you don't need to smell or or hear or or, or feel something then then the automation is in place you know machine vision handles the eyes already no problem there Probably there are some <laughs> mi microphones as well for the hearing, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> I seen that happen too in in one factory. They, what they did is that they there was a, some piece of metal, and they actually they wanted to find out if there is a crack inside. So they yes. clapped the metal somehow with another metal, and then they have microphones there. And if the tone was somehow different, then they had a reason to believe that okay there's a crack inside let's scrap this part yes melt it and do it again so <laughs> microphones are there as well but I, I i don't have any information if the smell is or feeling of course haptic, haptic feeling so uh for example here quite near in in, in where i live in Tampere area there is yes. a factory making uh, a big engine and that's highly automated factory so I, they really, yes. they have pushed really, really like advanced technology there. So they, when they put together a big, big engine for, for some tractor or, or truck, uh, there are barely any humans involved. But in wow. some, in some specific tasks, there needs to be a human touch so that uh, Makes you, sense. you, you, for example, some bolt that they put in, they, they just they don't tighten that, but they since it's a, it's it's continuously different. Yes. So it's always it's it's like same same but different. So it's always in the same position, but you need to feel that is it is it like working? Makes so sense. So what happens is that the worker actually does something a little bit, and then the <laughs> robot comes afterwards and tightens Whoa. the screw. As a sort of reinforcement. So I guess I guess that's 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 good because if if anything. I don't think the machines will will replace us entirely, but they'll make our lives a little bit easier than what has been happening. And I think that's how that's how I see technology in terms of how it's been growing. Uh, it just makes our life a lot easier. It makes it allows us to use the time more because I always say that you know with all these machines coming, maybe this will be an opportunity for people, especially. Uh, in this part of the world, to also start asking for more days off because you don't have to be at work, for, uh, you know, for as long as possible because the same output now can be done in a much shorter time by a smarter robot. So working conditions will improve, more benefits for people, more time to spend with family. People are really talking about the idea of a four-day working week, whereas, like, just 100 years ago, you only used to get Sunday off in this country. Mm -hmm. You had to work on Saturdays. So, so and But all yeah, this yeah. has been able to happen because of how technology is growing, and um, and one thing as well, uh, just to touch on before before we go, um, just looking at the time, uh, would you say that uh, the technology guys offer has you know the capacity to do some sort of like uh, metrology work? Like, can we take measurements with this light? Because I understand light is also quite. Um, uh, accurate because you know how the wavelength works whether you want to see a light mm -hmm. as a wave or a particle that's a joke i'll leave <laughs> to do with my uh, physicists and engineering friends but um can you also take measurements of the dimensions with this technology is it possible to do like uh, to take 
um, scans that can be fed into like 3D printers from this same technology since virtually this is an eye, right? Yeah, so so far we have not done really the um, like dimensions measurements. Yeah. However, uh, we could do that too. There are ways how to do it. Uh, yet, so uh, yeah, yeah, it has not been such a big problem for our clients that we would have started to do that. And it's it's a little bit also now it goes to the automation and that that. Uh, if you have yes. a complex shape like this, so you can see that there is like a different angle here than here. Yes. And and when you when you look at the light, it it actually depending on the angle, it you see the light yeah. in a different way, right? So it's yes. very like uh, critical that or crucial that in in what angle and what position this is. Makes and sense. that has an effect for for the dimensions measurement as well. True. Because we capture different signals. So now. Yes. I'm not saying it's impossible. It yes. just requires quite um, good software work behind so that it can tolerate uh, small little changes yes. and still do the very accurate dimensions model. Nice. And this is for the complex parts. If the part is simple, then you know yes. there's no problem. But yeah. uh, th that, that, that is one of the key reasons why we have not done this yet, even though yes. we know that it could be done. Makes sense, and then and that's like a, a, a food for thought, maybe for your pipeline uh, at some future, mm -hmm. at some point in the future, to start looking if this can also be used for uh, like metrology, you know, like uh, things mm -hmm. that need to be measured to concise parts, especially for for us because we, when you look at an asthma inhaler, it's re relatively small, but the components that go in there are small, so it's it's quite crucial we get the measurements right, you know, to the millimeter. Even we look at like um, uh, 0 0.01 millimeter, I think, correction or something like that. Mm -hmm. And for some of the smaller components, we even look at smaller scales. And I, I personally, when I was in engineering, I didn't think I'd be working to pay that much detail to really small components. Was I, I thought <laughs> it's something a watchmaker does. But for engineering, as well, it's quite important as much as the big components. So that would be nice to see how well it also, you know, if you can have that functionality and stuff. And I think, and for MedTech, um, I think this technology will be even useful for for just looking at uh, the defects there, as I said, uh, because it's, it's, it's going to be, it's it's going to be important, especially for implants for, for the, was it, in MedTech, we tend to treat different, you know, devices differently. So the higher the classification, the more people want to be confident with what they're doing and stuff. And especially for hip and joint replacement implants, especially mm -hmm. if they're custom made, as we start to move towards personalized medication, um, it's something that you could, you guys could have an, an input for that. But I don't know if it's if you have started taking um, into consideration the uh, amount of regulatory. Uh, requirements for for medtech because it's a highly regulated industry like the, like the aerospace industry uh, and for your clients that you have had from medtech like what kind of questions have they have they been asking for um, from what do you think is that is that the next uh, sort of market for you guys or yeah that's at least let's I'll just put it in a way that it's one of the next opportunities 
Yes. Uh, I, I don't want to go deeper in that, but where <laughs> are we going to? But yes. it's it's one of the opportunities, uh, for sure. Um, about still for the dimensions, I would say that uh, now, right now we have in our hands one client who is willing to also check the dimensions of a, of of a part. Yeah. However, that's for us that's easy. We can do it no problem because that specific surface that they are willing to measure the dimension that's yes. flat. Yes. It's it's flat. So for us that's uh, it's easy. It's, it's, <laughs> e- it's easy. There's no problem there. So. But when it starts getting complicated, you know, with like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the joints, um, the implant joints, they, they, some of them look like that door handle you've showed me there. They've yeah, got I some know, weird shapes, you know, to try to replicate the, how the bone would have been shaped here or, yeah. um, and, and, and talking about that, it, I think it's, it's even important to see, um, like, I would say that if, if you guys have a, a good, uh, you know, um, sort of confidence interval which you do have which is like in the 90s uh, percent in terms of quality control and um you can see particularly for metal modes uh, you can see where there's um defects such as uh, maybe there's a dent with this technology but do you also do you guys are you guys also capable of looking at the 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 device and saying okay maybe there's a little crack there does your technology also look at the cracks? Uh, because if it yeah. does, that's also another potential for you to actually uh, make it even more related for MedTech. And I'm just uh, s- sitting here thinking, how can I convince you to even you know focus more on MedTech? Because maybe, <laughs> maybe 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 because I got a bias. But um, yeah, this is going to be uh, you know life changing, especially for devices that uh, potentially fail. Because most of the failures that happen with uh, medical implants. Such as um, those um, hip implants uh, or the pl- implants that put on the femur, which is the longest bone in in your body, mm-hmm. it they tend to have structural failures. So they tend to either break, like break and stuff. And I feel like, and this is also because when they make the mat, or maybe there's some faults, some faulty parts in there that people can visually see. And if your machine can predict that, okay, this kind of looks faulty. This will be an area of I stress and this will crack, you know, like in terms of mechanical stress. Um, in, in, in if that can be picked up in in production, it's going to make a huge difference. So I, I, it's something for you guys to think about and see if you yeah, can yeah, start doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so basically, by the way, what, what we usually do yes. is that uh, we'll request potential clients, okay, hey, send us some samples. Yes. And hopefully those that have some kind of a defect that you need us to find. So then we can, in, in a quick manner, just to say that, okay, is there any reason to talk further? Or, or is it just that, okay, oh, oh, sorry, we cannot talk this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, and that being said, we have actually, we have, we have done these kind of uh, tests with, uh, for example, knee joints. Yes, and uh, I I know we can help there, so we nice. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. The crack thingy, yeah. Uh, if it's visible on the surface somehow, then yes, then yes. But, yeah, uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with this. Topic, of course, so I I cannot. Yeah, some <laughs> some of the stuff. Much. Some the thing is with cracks in metals. 
Some of them, they can be visible on the surface, but they are hard to see with the human eye because mm. I don't know if you have seen these videos on the internet. Maybe, maybe not, but you know, like on Instagram, they have this, uh, um, pages where people just put this sort of like satisfying videos, like where you see like a metal, which goes into another metal. So it's technically two metals, but because the, mm. the, the precision where it was cut to is so thin, when you look at it from the human eye, it looks like it's one block until someone pulls mm-hmm. out another piece of metal. So in theory, on that surface, there's a little crack, you know, or a little gap, mm-hmm. but which our eyes can't see. And some of those things can easily go undetected in quality control, in, especially when it's done by a human eye. So, and I think it, depending on how many um, uh, microns the technology can focus, of which light has like capacity to even look at something further, that could be potential errors. Okay, there's a tiny little crack here or something like that, but I, I, I'll leave that up to you guys, engineers, but that's something that potentially even <laughs> could also add value. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I, could, I, I could make a comparison. Yes. Uh, for example, in automotive, there is yes. a you know, suspension rod. So yes. It's, it's, it's a rod, like yes. a metal rod, and it's covered with hard chrome. Yes. What happens before the chroming is that they, they do some grinding work for the actual metal. Makes sense. And, and then they make the uh, surface there with hard chrome. <laughs> so our system, we can see the grinding defects through the chrome, basically. Because they are visible. And the reason for that is that the actual surface is, is super thin. Yes. And uh, it, usually it doesn't kind of, you know, fill the holes in the body material so if there is a defect in the body material it's visible also in the surface usually well, yes in chrome plating and painting yeah if this is the case there then maybe but uh, <laughs> let's see yeah no but uh, but yeah thank you thank you very much uh, 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 Mika for, 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 for coming on the podcast I, I really appreciate it <laughs> yeah thank you for inviting it has been a funny time to chat with you, Rodney, and uh, lots of interesting points from, from, from the medical technology side. Yes, uh, thank you. All right. Okay, have a good day. Thank you.